Welcome to the FHE Podcast, hosted by Amy and Maddie. We are the Fruity Horny Exmos. Hello, everyone. Hey. Welcome back. Welcome back to episode seven. Ep seven. Ep seven? Ep seven. Here it is. <laughs> Here we go. Anyway, we are so excited that you're back and choosing to listen to our <laughs> podcast and we're just super grateful that you guys care enough to listen <laughs> even if it's like four of you we appreciate you so today we're talking about good girl syndrome oh what is good girl syndrome <laughs> maddie so i have some articles that we're going to discuss okay i'm ready for it so the first one is titled good girl syndrome demands to be good but not happy so good girl syndrome is when you spend your entire life because of how you were taught thinking that you have to be good and perfect no matter what. And then you put yourself on the back burner for years and years and years and you don't know how to speak up for yourself pretty much. Okay. I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a huge problem in the community that we both grew up in absolutely people pleasing is a huge issue and i think especially for women so this article it says it is normal for parents to want their children to be kind since childhood children have been taught to be kind obedient polite friendly caring for others and not selfish however children who are required to always be kind can also be depressed and experience good girl syndrome so some of the characteristics of good girl syndrome are fear of disappointing others fear of speaking out for fear of hurting others you must always excel avoid conflict obey rules and also find it difficult to say no which is a problem Mm -hmm. those things like obeying the rules and doing well you know those are good things but when it's pressure when you're pressured to do those things then it can have a negative effect so there was a study by stanford university and the most desirable adjectives that were given to describe women are affectionate warm cheerful soft-spoken and loyal and then on the other hand when they were asked to list desired adjectives for men they said independent assertive dominant and assertive they said assertive twice independent (laughs) assertive and dominant the results of that study were that women are most desirable when they are more gentle and then men when they are strong so the article goes on to say in the end these children will experience difficulties and they always harbor emotions and find it difficult to comply with their own desires because they're required to make other people happy so just again just giving up everything for yourself for other people i don't know why that's a thing it's annoying (laughs) i mean i think in terms of again, the community that we were both raised in, it makes sense because you're supposed to fulfill this role of someone who never does anything wrong Mm -hmm. because you, quote unquote, know the right way. So why would you choose to do the wrong thing? But that's not the case for real life. Everyone has different things that work for them that maybe the church doesn't view affectionately i.e being gay you know yeah so i think it does make sense and it's unfortunate that that's the case yeah definitely and then the article ends with saying being a good person is a good thing but you can't do it by force and torture yourself 
Therefore, this is the time for you to dare to bring up your own character, change your mindset, and dare to act according to personal principles. So, self-care. Yeah. Guys. And also just, like, self-awareness. Yeah. And then I also found another one that is called The Good Girl Complex Made My Relationship One-Sided. And female worth and likability is defined by who we can be to others. So Amy's going to read some more about that. Okay. Here you go, Amy. Let's see. So the good girl complex is made up of widespread social behaviors internalized by young women. From childhood, many women are socialized to please others at the cost of their own well-being or needs. We see this social pressure to please at home, in educational institutions, and in the workplace. There was a woman that has this quote. I believe it's a professor. Her name is Gerda Lerner. And she wrote something called The Creation of Patriarchy and says that gender is a costume, mask, a straitjacket that drives people's actions. Damn. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. And this phrase highlights the way that gender acts as a restraining force, especially for women. Though gender expectations make human behavior predictable, their demands on women are exhausting. The normal, quote unquote, behavior expected of women is exceptionally extreme. This is like really obvious in female politicians. I think even just off the top of my head, just like AOC, if you don't know who that is, who are you? She's really inspiring. A badass bitch. But people are constantly saying like, oh, she's too angry. Or like they're just upset that she is her own person. Yeah. And she had her own American dream that, you know, what society has been for the last several decades wasn't something where she really fit in and she like forced her way in. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. And especially like, again, with politicians, with actresses, etc. I also, for one, hate the word actresses. Yeah. They're just <laughs> actors. Mm -hmm. Like it's so frustrating. Everything is so gendered. Yeah, and it's it, it's not necessary because it doesn't change what they're doing. Yeah, and I didn't even like think. I mean, I have always I always try to say actor instead of actress, and it's just funny that of course just right now I said actress, but celebrities, people of again quote unquote higher status, they're always asked different questions than their male counterparts. So for women politicians, celebrities, etc. They're always like, so how's your husband? Like focus on that and emphasize that. So the author of this article says that their whole life, they felt like they had to tick boxes to manufacture their worth. You know, it's kind of like the give us a smile. <laughs> like don't come on too strong. Don't speak your mind. Yeah, just don't just be good. Yeah, don't share your voice. Don't take up space and just be nice. They say in this article, I recall simple things like wanting to eat a snack by myself turned into debates of my so-called morality. If I didn't want to share, these situations ended in a condemnation of my selfishness and hideous moral decay. Doing things solely for my benefit was often questioned by those around me. Actions that didn't serve others were questioned. Why and how are you worthy of this? These experiences left me deeply wounded and afraid of being called ungrateful, selfish, and cold. I know so many women in my life that constantly are like, Ugh, and that might sound selfish. And it's just like a, a common boundary that yeah. if it was a man that said, it might be selfish, but I'm going to take a vacation by myself. <laughs> yeah. Like men don't think that. They're just like, I'm going to go on this trip. Mm -hmm. and, and it's fine. women are like, but like... I don't want other people, I don't, I don't want people on the internet to assume that I have all this money. They don't want to be seen in a way that they come off being selfish or mm -hmm. 
you know, acting like they're too good for people or whatever. You know, again, male counterparts don't really feel that way. So basically, society is just saying, don't be too loud. Don't ask for too much. The author of this article is basically just going into how these things become reflected in their romantic relationships. So with their partner, they would constantly be like, oh, like my partner's so kind and attentive. So like, why don't I just, I'll just like agree to watch this movie that I really don't like. You're trying so hard not to be rejected that you're putting your own desires and yeah. interests on the back burner in order to be loved. So then you're just- Then it's not real. Yeah, you're it's just fake. perpetuating the cycle. The hard part is, is that you don't realize- why you're upset when your partner doesn't just like roll over like you do until you become more self-aware. Yeah. And I remember something that I had to learn in my first marriage. Um, <laughs> I just feel so old when I say that. I'm not even 30. <laughs> but something that I had to learn in that relationship was that I expected him to read my mind. And that's so unfair, honestly. To, to, yeah to everyone and if you do that in all of your relationships because you're trying to be such a good partner a good daughter a good friend a good whatever a good girl that you just become a reflection of those relationships yeah and you won't be happy yeah no you'll feel pathetic yeah but this the author of this article says but a good girl's pride is in how much she can bend and shrink for those she loves true yeah the author kind of finishes up this article talking about how you can move on from the good girl syndrome and we'll get more into this later in the episode as well but they say self-reflection and setting boundaries is the antidote to the good girl complex yeah and therapy hell yeah <laughs> fucking get there i would add <laughs> really what it comes down to and i will say right like there's two sides of good girl syndrome that we're going to talk about in this episode yeah. this is just one side of it mm-hmm and this side of it, you're being dishonest with yourself and with the people around you for what you need. Because again, you've been taught, especially in the community, again, that we grew up in, you've been taught not to make room, that you should be submissive to the priesthood holders around you. Yeah. And that, you know, your role is a supportive one. That's what it is. It's yeah. not, you're the, you're, you're basically acting like the side character in your own life. So it's understandable that it takes a lot of self-reflection and work to get through those feelings. And it's like, it's literally built into the doctrine. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, like Eve came from Adam's rib. And yeah. then, you know, they always say, support your priesthood holder, support your husband in his calling. The final line of this article says, after all, being a good girl doesn't pay if you're living for everyone but yourself. So live for yourself, bitches. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Back to you, Maddie. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. <laughs> and we will include our sources, by yes, the way. in the description of this episode. Okay, so if you follow us on Instagram, we asked for some thoughts about good girl syndrome so we got three responses woo woo. shout out to our three that's right <laughs> also follow us on instagram if you are not already at fag podcast yeah we'll be definitely putting out more feelers for listener input and we An really announcements yeah an announcement we really care about 
interacting with our audience. The whole point of this podcast, the entire conception of it is really for us to find a like-minded community by processing our own experiences that we can in turn help other people and vice versa. So feel free to (laughs) always send in your Your thoughts thoughts and feelings and, (laughs) and feelings and stories and stuff like that. We'd love to hear them. And again, thank you to the people that did submit some thoughts about good girl syndrome. Before we read these listener submissions, (laughs) I think it would be good to talk about the Mormon culture that has perpetuated a different meaning of good girl syndrome. And I think I first heard about that in college. And basically good girl syndrome means that you're always told specifically around sex right? You're always told like, sex is bad. Don't think about sex. Don't do anything sexual, anything like that. And then the second you're married, it's suddenly like a switch flips. They're like, okay, now like have sex, make babies immediately. And it can just be really jarring to, and I, I can, you know, speak, I can speak on that from experience because, you know, I have been previously married and I saved myself for marriage. Um, (laughs) But it was like, it just, it felt wrong. And I know specifically for my ex-husband, that was, it was more like he struggled with that than I did. I've heard of many other people that, you know, had that experience. They had sex one time on their wedding night and then they just like shut down. Like I've heard of girls right after they have finished having sex the first time they go lock themselves in the bathroom and just sob Mm -hmm. because it just feels so wrong. Which is really sad. Mm-hmm. I think, again, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with yeah. the traditional definition of good girl syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like I, shrinking your own needs to the will of the church and what you're being taught versus what is natural and normal for your body. Mm-hmm. So just a different definition. That was what I thought of first when we first talked about this episode was that definition of good girl syndrome yeah i think they're connected yeah for so. sure but i i listen i love talking about boundaries so yeah i love talking about all of that perfect down for that so <laughs> anyway on to our listener submissions okay so listener number one says okay something i find really interesting with good girl syndrome is how the boys were always seen as the ones with masturbation and porn, quote, problems. I remember going to a fireside where they talked about those things, but they were specifically addressing the boys. I felt like I had a huge secret because I masturbated and used porn but was a girl. And also I feel like with boys, even though it's looked down on, it was normalized. It was assumed that every boy did it and they would often talk about it amongst themselves. But with girls, I truly thought I was the only one who did it. Looking back, I'm sure all of my girlfriends were masturbating too, but we never ever mentioned it to each other. Even now, I feel like I can talk about sex with most of my girlfriends, but talking about masturbation still feels taboo. I totally agree, listener one, because I also grew up masturbating watching porn etc especially in general conference was when they would you know reference masturbating for the young men and being aware of that and that it was really just a male problem in my undeveloped teenager brain i took that as okay so it's so uncommon and so demented almost that a girl would do this because i never saw a general authority or anyone mention women masturbating. And so I was like, I must be a deviant, (laughs) you know? 
so I never told anyone. I never really yeah. referenced it. I actually one time, this is just a funny story about porn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but one time I, when I was growing up, my older brother, and I have four, so you don't know which one. But one of my older brothers, we used the same computer. Like it was out, out in the family area. My parents looked in the search history of his internet browser on his profile and saw that he'd been watching porn. And he, it was like a whole thing and he had all these restrictions put on his profile. Meanwhile, I was watching porn like every single day. I just was smart enough to erase my internet history. (laughs) So my parents never caught me. And so my brother, you know, like it'll just like log him out automatically, stuff like that. And me, I'm just up (laughs) doing my thing. And that's, that's the thing is I feel like because you never talk about it you get even better at hiding it oh yeah definitely. so i can definitely relate to that and that's honestly why i love talking about masturbation i think i'm kind of the opposite to this person mm-hmm. in that way where i'm like you know what actually i'm gonna talk about masturbation because i am not ashamed that i used to masturbate now i mean it took a while for me to get over that yeah to get over like just that feeling of taboo yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so I feel like women's sexuality in general is just very stigmatized. Yeah. And so many people don't even know like what it is. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Comprehensive sex education. Seriously. It's really not that fucking hard. Yeah. But it's fine. I wonder if people will ever learn just giving someone like all the facts. Yeah. They'll be safer. Yeah. Because you know? they'll know. Yeah. And like restricting things more without education yeah that's gonna just do the opposite effect Mm -hmm. that you want yeah it's legitimately bonkers to me that there can be so much data showing that abstinence only sex education does not work Mm -hmm. that there's actually more teen pregnancies you know there's more More, stds yeah um more abortions etc things like that because these fucking kids don't know what's going on or how to be safe about it so it's like yeah those things are going to happen more not the kids that sure they might be having more sex but they're having more safe yeah, sex at least it's safe but like it doesn't it doesn't not matter how much how much data there is yeah it's and there's a like, lot of it why would we teach the teenagers or teach people in general mm-hmm. how to have safe sex like and it's just it's perpetuated in shame mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's really conservative people and pro-life people things like that sex should not strictly only be a transactional relationship where you're doing it to get pregnant sometimes in your relationship maybe that is what you need to do it for because you're trying to get pregnant but overall sex should be used as a tool to increase your emotional physical bond with your partner overall again so much data showing how much that helps relationships (laughs) overall yeah but no god forbid (sighs) no those darn kids (laughs) i know okay okay anyway listener number two good girl syndrome comes from the demand to be good whether or not you are happy and that demand comes with more demands until what you want and need doesn't matter anymore i strongly believe that these demands were a huge trigger in my depressive episodes that started at a very young age i was the happy child the peacemaker and the good girl My mom still talks about what a good little girl I was and that I was her easiest child and I kept the family together. My childhood journals tell a completely different story. 
I hated myself, I hated everyone else, and I was convinced that the world might be better off without me. But I was also afraid to disappoint anyone, so instead of talking about it or asking for help, I started burning myself at 12 years old. Yikes. I did my older brother's chores and homework to make sure that everything got done and my mom would be happy. I mitigated some some arguments between my parents and siblings. The need to people please and keep my home and life conflict free spread further and further and became more and more painful to me. I kept secrets about myself and others. I didn't say anything when my bishop treated me inappropriately because he was a bishop and I was a girl and who was I supposed to tell? Yikes. Yikes. God. Plus, he was my dad's friend. So how could I disappoint my dad like that? Oh my God. I didn't say anything when my boyfriend sexually assaulted me because he cried and told me he didn't mean it and it was a misunderstanding and I couldn't tell anyone because he just got his mission call. Oh my God. Oh my God. I didn't say anything when I became pregnant with that same boy's baby. Instead, I moved to a new town where no one knew me. Thank wow. God I had a miscarriage. I know that's hard to hear, but it's true. I was 17, so what would I have done? Then I didn't say anything when I was 19 and it was my wedding night and my sweet fiancé turned into my monster husband. I finally had the courage to take control of my own life and leave the church and divorce him after three years of marriage. He took me away from everything I knew and moved me to Mexico before I finally snapped. I'm 28 now and I am finally realizing that keeping the peace with others, being the nice girl, and obeying whatever arbitrary rules someone has placed on you is no way to live. But it's still so hard to put myself first. It's so hard to say no to anything all the time. But through years of therapy and learning to love myself, I can. Don't even get me started on what all of this did to my sexuality and sex life. Mm -hmm. But I'm working on that too. There is healing, there is peace, there is love, and it comes from you. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a really, I think that was a really good representation of mm -hmm. how good girl syndrome can affect all your relationships and, and people take advantage of that. Yeah, definitely. And it's really sad. That was a really heartbreaking one. <laughs> yeah, it is unfortunate, but I, I do love the end where, yeah. you know, they say that they're putting work into themselves and it's so frustrating that so many people have to do all this work because all these other people are terrible but good on you for mm -hmm. doing the work because speaking from my own personal experience that has made me feel so much more like a real human being mm -hmm. to understand why I act the way I do why I think the way I do and my actual feelings what are those who yeah, knew my actual feelings a fun fact about me is that i literally thought because i felt so numb as a teenager and as a young adult that i was a sociopath i dead ass asked more than one friend do you think that i could be a sociopath or that i could be sociopathic and they'd be like no obviously not but i couldn't feel anything because at the time it was too painful to feel anything. Mm -hmm. So I just erased it, stuffed it down, whatever you want to call it. I guess in my case, I, I suppressed it because I wasn't, I wasn't aware that I was doing it. I wasn't like actively trying to forget it, but it fucked me up and I thought yeah. that I was insane. And so the more work I've done on myself, even though it's been hard, like truly the hardest thing I've done, it's made me feel like a normal person when mm -hmm. I didn't feel that way or at least I pretended like I did feel that way even when I wasn't mm -hmm. good girl syndrome Woo. anyway <laughs> 
Anyway, and then person number three, it wasn't a written response, so I'm just paraphrasing what they said to me, but their whole life they were taught to put faith in other things instead of themselves, which, cool, mm-hmm. put your, you know, put your faith in God, put your faith in the church, and your parents. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like putting your fears on the shelf, your questions on the shelf, because mm-hmm. you're putting the church and their interests first. Yeah. Why does the church always come first? Yeah. I don't understand. Neither do I. I never will. Just going through the struggle of being who they want to be versus who... They were raised to be Yeah, they were to raised be. to be or who people expect them to be. Yeah. That's just really hard and it does take some work to get over that yeah for real anyway those are the three responses that we received thank you so shout out it's just i think it's nice to know that there are other people who you know really do understand and i think pretty much everyone every like AFAB person you've ever met that was raised in the church is going to feel this way whether or not whether or not they're they're conscious of it Mm -hmm. but you know they can understand this feeling obviously it's called the good girl syndrome but it can affect anyone yeah Um, i think so you know i think the more self-aware you are the more emotionally intelligent you are the more likely you are to feel this way you know some people call it like brazen confidence i just call it lack of self-awareness when people constantly put themselves first with no regard to people around them Obviously, I think you should put yourself first, but not at the expense of other people. Yeah, there's a difference. So the people that don't care have never considered other people and just walk through life assuming that other people will bend to their will. They're just they have such a lack of self-awareness and the people that, you know, fall more under good girl syndrome probably are a little bit more self-aware but go to therapy yes <laughs> and talk to a licensed <laughs> professional about these feelings you're having yes i will always say that everyone needs therapy i mean you're basically <laughs> on your way to being a therapist so yeah i am that's right Whoop. so maddie what's your experience with good girl syndrome I think a big part of that for me has been having a lot of guilt and shame about sex. Like, for example, the first time that I had my first sexual experience, I was so stressed about it that I ended up telling my mom and she made me go to the bishop. That was really (laughs) stressful. It's like a really horrible situation. yeah. Yeah. And just bad vibes. Yeah. And how old were you? Maybe 15 or 16. Yeah. And it's also gross that supposedly going and expressing, you know, that type of physical act is supposed to release you of this sin. You know, you're repenting. Yeah. But you're telling it to an old man. Mm-hmm. That's weird. It is weird. Anyway. And it's just it's a normal thing. And I mean, the thing is, too, I didn't know that much about sex at the time. And so I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, of course. And I was not ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was just a stressful time. And I I have talked to the bishop multiple times about masturbating or having sexual experiences because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. But I really don't like it. <laughs> it yeah. just further reinforces the shame that sex is surrounded with. Yeah, no, agreed. I never, listen again, I started doing a lot of shady shit at a very young age. I only talked to the bishop once 
And it was when I went to BYU-Idaho because it was, <laughs> you know, went to a church school. So what do you expect? But <laughs> I didn't want to talk to an old man. But also, I remember as a very young kid being confused at the concept of talking to someone else when we had the direct channel, like, to God through prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Why did... why? Do we have to do that? <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, I know. It is It should weird. be between you and God, if that's even something that you think is yeah. a sin. Like, now I'm like, whatever. Yeah, but like back <laughs> it's then. Fine. But yeah, if you think about it back then when you were a fucking teenager talking to your bishop at 15 or 16... Yeah. Like, they teach you that you should repent on your own, that you should be repentant, that you should pray to God, all this stuff. But the confession part, like, I can understand in Catholicism, like, yeah. it's more you go to confession, that is the repentance process mm -hmm. versus, yeah and, then you're good. yeah, and then you're done. But with the Mormon church, you yourself should repent and then also talk to the bishop. Yeah. And I never and understood. Then, and then sometimes there's consequences too. Mm -hmm. Like, they take away the sacrament for, like... Like mine was X taken away for a month. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. was it two weeks? I can't remember. I mean, <laughs> who cares? Whatever. It's just um, absurd no matter, no matter what. But it's yeah. just like, again, yeah, reinforcing those things. <laughs> I'd never understood that as a kid. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, why would we have to talk to this person when you are telling me I can talk to God directly? Yeah. So weird. And I was going to say the last time that I talked to the bishop, I didn't even feel bad about what I had done. <laughs> I just, I was honestly kind of pressured into going to talk to the bishop because I had told some people and then I was, that was during my phase of kind of coming back to the church. So I was like, yeah, I should go. Rip. I mean, not gonna lie, it was not a great situation. Yeah. But I didn't feel bad about that. <laughs> well, I think that's when it becomes more about the red tape. It's like, I think it's just perpetuating the cycle of submission. Yeah. You know? Another thing for me is that I am the oldest child. So I have always been regarded as kind of the peacemaker, the perfect one, the example, etc. And that comes with a lot of pressure and responsibility to actually be that. And it's definitely shaped who I am. But therapy, therapy, therapy. I can't relate to the oldest part of that. But what I can relate to is when, especially when you're put on such a pedestal, like having your parents kind of single you out to be like, look to Maddie, you know, sh be more like Maddie, whatever. Mm -hmm. When you make a mistake, you're going to be less likely to talk about it. Oh, yeah. You know, after that, I never told my mom anything. Yeah. <laughs> and it just perpetuates the shame and the guilt. It honestly affects you long term so much more. Yeah. And I can understand that for sure. Because again, I thought that women were it was so absurd disturbing disgusting that a woman would watch porn or masturbate it almost legitimately became like a second personality that sounds crazy <laughs> a little bit but let me explain i refer to her as after dark amy <laughs> okay <laughs> and that's when i would like feel free to be myself and that is when i did kind of shady sexual things but again i didn't have the education that i should have had uh, at a you know far younger age <laughs> than these situations <laughs> happened but it was like I dissociated so hard that during the day I would like forget about her. But then slowly it's like as the sun went down, <laughs> my my body just like took over 
And I just got so good at hiding it. Yeah, like it, I did too. <laughs> it only makes it harder for, let's say, your parents to find out, mm-hmm. not for you to do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. Yeah. You find a way. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. I can understand the thought process of, well, you know, if they get in trouble for it, then they won't do it again. They won't. Yeah, they won't do it again. No, because when it's something as natural as allowing yourself to feel physical pleasure that's scientifically proven to help and be done, <laughs> you're not, it's going to damage the relationship, not what they're doing. Yeah. And it's actually funny. Recently, I learned why spraying your cat with water is bad. Have I told you this? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, no, I think it was, I think it was with Brie. Yeah. It kind of relates, right? Because when you are a pet owner, and like Maddie and I were cat owners. So when you spray a cat with water, it doesn't actually associate a negative punishment to the cat. What it does is makes them less likely to trust you. Whoa. Like it's going to affect your relationship with them. For instance, our friend Bree, her cat was just really in a mood for a few days and she had to keep spraying him. And then <laughs> I think that's why then he started like getting kind of mean to her. Yeah. And he like scratched the hell out of her hand. She was like bleeding and (laughs) all this stuff. And I think that's why, because she had spent like several days trying, which I mean, is a common, it's, you know, that's a common misconception with cats of, oh, if they're bad, spray them with water. I've done that my entire life with our the cats that I've had. I didn't know until like last week <laughs> that that was something you shouldn't do. Yeah. I think it's the same with parents. If, mm-hmm. you know, if you essentially metaphorically spray them with a water bottle. Yeah. Every time they make a mistake. Yeah. That's not going to teach them a lesson about not doing the thing. It's just going to build that resentment yep. towards you. Yeah. Don't fucking spray your, your kids with a water bottle. Talk to metaphorically them. Metaphorically or... Or literally. literally. <laughs> you can't just yell at someone and expect them to suddenly become a different person that's not realistic yeah Yeah. and let's compare that to like to the church and gay people just like be straight (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you're not for real did you have anything to add like of your more of your experience i feel like i've kind of really gotten into the main points but essentially it made me a better liar Mm -hmm. to the point where I could kind of, like I said earlier, almost associate the quote unquote negative things that I'd been taught yeah. away. Mm-hmm. It was not helpful for my my development as a teenager. <laughs> I learned how to manipulate people because it was like I learned how to manipulate myself first. And then I learned how yeah. to like subtly manipulate people to do what I wanted. And that's not healthy in your relationships. Nope. So if you're trying to control other people, whether again it's subconscious or not. For me, it wasn't like I knew I'm going to manipulate this person. It was more, I know how to act to get what I want from them. So it's like I got to the good girl syndrome part and then I went farther. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to bend over backwards to do what you want, but Mm -hmm. I'll do that in exchange for something else. So that's kind of like, I feel like what I ended up learning how to do. It just became such an issue. Like that's, and you know, maybe at some point we'll talk about this, but I'm in recovery from codependency and I feel like that really goes hand in hand with good girl syndrome. Mm -hmm. And the thing is people hear codependency and they don't actually understand what that means. They assume it means like, oh, you physically can't live without this person. Yeah, no, it's not that. And that's not what it is. And the more I learned about it, 
the more it made sense for how I'd been raised my whole life. Anyway, so maybe we'll do a different episode about codependency, but I think that really perpetuated that for me. And that was debilitating. I didn't realize how much until, again, you go to therapy, you (laughs) spend time researching, you become more Mm self-aware. That's what this is all about. Yep. The people pleasing is real. (laughs) Yes. Boundaries. People pleaser. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, every woman in the church, every AFAP person in the church, raised in the church, totally has to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's, like, bred into us. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, like, drilled into our brains. Yep. So, boundaries are important. No matter what anyone says, boundaries are important. And you're not selfish for holding a boundary. I love boundaries. You're growing to love them. I'm growing to love boundaries. Just really hard to start setting them because every single boundary you set just feels, like, so sharp. Almost. Where you're, like, oh, my God. And it's just terrifying. But the, the more you set boundaries, the duller that feeling becomes i think that's kind of where i'm at where i'm like you know i do this all the time to our to maddie and our (laughs) friends where they're like i have to go to this thing and i'm like but why (laughs) you know it's just do you have to yeah and then they're like well she'll feel bad or this person will feel bad okay that's her problem Mm -hmm. yeah you're not responsible for their emotions Mm -hmm. again in the church you're raised to be responsible for the feelings of those around you specifically the men yeah because they're so fragile yeah, they really are way more fragile than women. As someone who has had long-term partners with both. <laughs> no, women much preferred mm-hmm. when it comes to talking about emotions. But anyway, but I think that's pretty much it. Just like my good girl syndrome kind of got away from me. So it just became an even bigger problem for me. And then it just took me that much more work and that much more time to work through it. So it's okay to admit that you have done these things or you have felt these ways because you're not the only person. There's two people right here that have suffered their lives with good girl syndrome. And <laughs> I mean, some of us are still suffering, I would say. I mean, yeah. Well, are we <laughs> ever gonna, through are it. we ever really gonna not suffer in this society? Probably not. No. <laughs> but we can learn how to fight back to those feelings somewhat. Yeah. At least so. being able to recognize them is huge, I think. Oh, the biggest and hardest step in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So fuck good girl syndrome. Yeah. Fuck that. And let's just abolish that feeling. That would be great <laughs> if we could, you know, abolish that before, you know, gay marriage or uh, the ability to get an abortion legally. Yeah. So it's fine. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> well, anything else to add for you, Mads? Nope. I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, I absolutely think so. I think this has been a really insightful episode and hopefully, again, can resonate with our audience. And I think I have some worthwhile manifestations for the end of this episode. <laughs> Okay, let's hear it, Amy. Okay, to you listening to this episode, remember, and especially this week, and hopefully forever, you are not selfish for putting yourself first. Boundaries are good. (laughs) Learning more about who you are and why you are the way that you are is good and will help you in the long run. So that's what I'm manifesting for this week, especially just put up a boundary. It's, it can be as simple as you don't want to go to something that you said you would go to. 
You know, if it's not something that's important to you and you're doing it solely for someone else, just be honest with them. Be honest with yourself. It's hard, but it's worth it. So be brave, be strong, hold those boundaries. We believe in you. (laughs) Yes, we do. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the FHE podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FHE podcast. If you ever see us post looking for submissions, for episodes like this, we definitely want you to write into us. Even if you're like, I don't know if this applies, we still, regardless, love to learn more about our audience and our listeners. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, we can relate. So keep your eyes peeled for that and see you next time. See you next time, folks. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.